This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 24th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the eleven and to those who were with him, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I'm sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. The gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace be yours through Jesus, risen and ascended. Amen. First prayer, I remember learning might have been the worst prayer that I ever learned. Uh, it might be the same case for you. Um, I didn't know it at the time. Uh, it came out of a late 18th century colonial textbook uh, for children. It was called the New England Primer. It's how you learned how to read by learning prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now here's what bothers me about it. I mean, beyond the obvious darkness of a children's prayer that introduces the idea that tonight just might be the night, that's not exactly a lullaby. <laughs> In colonial America, let's give them a little bit of slack, that might have been the case. Uh, but the world has changed in that regard, and it certainly had changed by the time I was learning the prayer. Thank God, thank science that it changed. But what really bothers me about it is that it taught generations of children to ask God to protect their souls, but not their bodies. Hmm. It taught me that God was concerned about my soul or my spirit, but not my body. Hmm. Of course, it's not just a children's issue. I mean, it's pervasive, pervasive, pervasive in a civic religion that calls itself Christianity today. Back in the day when I was in college, I ran with a group. I'm not particularly proud of this. I don't admit it in a lot of Lutheran circles. In a group called Campus Crusade for Christ. It's a modern era is young life. And I did this, and I frankly, I asked other people to do it. I once said a prayer that is so common. I didn't know that being raised as a Lutheran. It was so common that in other traditions, it's called the sinner's prayer. That's <laughs> the sinner's prayer. After you say the prayer, you're no longer a sinner. Before you say the prayer, you are a sinner. Got it. I once, in a dorm room, invited Jesus into my heart. Maybe you did that as well. I'm not trying to denigrate that. And let's make sure we're very clear. Maybe someone's told you that you have to do that in order to be loved by God. You don't. 
Now, prayers are important. Prayers are really, really important. Uh, parents, please don't miss what happens in this church on Sundays and on Wednesdays and how important it is for finding a language to talk about God. Uh, Thursday night's shenanigans out in the parking lot were unbelievably joyful. Uh, we, this is what we did for those who weren't, about 75 of us there. We shot little tiny marshmallows through a marshmallow shooter and we learned that each one of them was Jesus. <clears throat> and we had a big box that said the right hand of God. <laughs> we tried to shoot Jesus, to send Jesus into, we, we were horrible shots and thank God, the ascension of Jesus doesn't depend on our ability. Um, the language we use for God and how we talk to God is really important. It's important on lots of levels. I mean, no one wants to blow it or screw it up when you're talking to the Almighty God, so there's that level. But it's something deeper than that. Uh, whether it's bedtime prayers or whether it's conversion prayers, it's scary when there's a blatant disconnect, if not a disregard, for one's body, the enfleshed body. Now, I'm going to go really deep today, so please try, I'm not, try, try not to lose me here. Uh, when, when, you, when you separate God, when you separate God's love and God's care and God's mercy and God's vision and God's will, when you separate everything God from the physical, from the flesh, from the body, it leads us to some horrible, horrible places. And we're paying for that now. Let me give you some examples. Color blindness. Uh, someone in this church recently said to me, you know, Pastor, I don't really see race at all. I just see human beings. Hmm. First, can you guess what color that person was? And second, it, it fundamentally denies the experience of people of color. It, it takes them in an odd place of being forced to deny either what they see every day happening in the lives of brown and black young men and women and something that is mythically called post-racial America as if that exists. Missionaries are another great example of what happens when you separate body and spirit. You get off the airplane in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. What you notice right away is that the airport is littered and I'm choosing that word very carefully, littered with church groups all wearing bright colored shirts that all say something like saving Haiti, one soul at a time. How about some justice for Haiti? Or how about mercy? Or, or how about water just for their bodies? Uh, Haitians aren't the least bit worried about their souls. They're some of the most religious people on the face of the earth. Every cab, every house has got a Bible verse painted right on it. Bishop Desmond Tutu one said that when the, when the missionaries went to Africa, we had the land and the missionaries had the Bible. And when they left, they had the land and we had the Bible. One body youth are going to Jamaica this summer. They're not going to save souls. They're going to feed bodies and nurture bodies and care for brothers and sisters in Christ. So here's another example. And we're, I, I think at least we're all shaking our heads right now for a blatant lack of civic concern for the poor. Healthcare, housing, hunger, just name the issue. And I can see where all that comes from. When the most important thing is getting in a right relationship with God rather than the physical care of your brothers and sisters. Did you know this? I did not know this. When slave owners took possession of slaves, the first thing they did was baptize them. 
Think that through for just a little while. Baptize them. Taught them all about Jesus who would save their souls, but if somebody tried to teach them to read, it would whip them. There's serious implications when you dichotomize God's love with souls up here and bodies down here and God's only concerned about souls, God's not concerned about bodies. Even something like war, um, this is Memorial Day weekend, even something like war, it's not ultimately about nations and about freedom. It's about the loss of life, life of our neighbors, life of our sisters and brothers, our sons and our daughters, mothers and fathers. It's horrible, horrible. And we forget that at our own risk. Think this through with me. The the witness of Jesus is found in four gospel accounts in Scripture. Doesn't John begin by saying, the word became flesh? and dwelt among us? Doesn't Mark constantly show Jesus getting tired and sleepy, having to go off by himself? Doesn't he get TPO temporarily peopled out? He has to separate himself from the group. Doesn't Luke constantly show him eating and with others? Even after the resurrection, Matthew has Jesus needing to eat with his disciples along the Sea of Galilee. They do, all of the gospels do. They portray Jesus as flesh and blood, weeping, suffering, crying, dying. God became flesh, became embodied. And Luke, we heard it both cases today in the Acts of the Apostles and the book of Luke, Luke takes it to another level. Luke makes every effort to demonstrate to us that the same Jesus who we celebrate so joyfully becomes incarnate, flesh and blood at Christmas and a little baby born of the Virgin Mary. It is that same body, that same incarnate that ascends to heaven in the body, in the flesh. I never caught this phrase before in Luke's reading, and I'm a little embarrassed about that. Uh, He lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now, I got a good clue why why I've missed it for so many years and why I just caught it this year. Uh, Since my bicycle accident, it's a lot harder for me to do that. I got kind of like a one-armed, cockeyed blessing that I, I, I can do. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Those are the same hands that Thomas could have put his fingers in the holes. That's not a ghost, that's not a spirit, that's not a soul, that's a body. Bodies have hands. And Luke's being really clear that yes, Jesus was glorified, yes, he was risen from the dead, and now he's physically ascending to the right hand of God, but he's doing that in the flesh. It's tremendously important because we live in an era of sinner's prayers. We live in an era where it's too easy to dichotomize faith as flesh and spirit. Just let them eat cake. It's only their souls that matter. Jesus had and continues to have a body. His birth, his resurrection, his ascension happened a body. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. I yearn for the day when my mother wraps her arms around me again. Note note also that how Jesus treated other people's bodies really mattered. It's, It's the bulk of the gospel narrative. Whenever he encountered sick people, he did what? He healed them. Whenever he encountered hungry people, he did what? He fed them. Whenever he encountered somebody whose body was pushed out into the margins, he brought them back into the center. Bodies matter to God. Those are nail scarred hands that are lifting up and blessing the whole world. And that's also how I think the kingdom of God 
comes to us now. It comes to us in flesh and, and in blood, in body. And not just lily white, perfectly proportioned, idealized bodies. The body glorified today on Ascension Day is a body that is covered with scars. In some very real sense, a disabled God has holes in his wrist and in his feet. He has a wound in his side from a spear. Can, can you imagine uh, how different the world would be if we told people with disabilities how much like Jesus they were rather than how different from us they are? The ascending body of Jesus is also a survivor, a survivor of horrific trauma, abused, beaten, and he's a victor, he conquered it to be sure, but his body is scarred and is wounded. And what if, what if we could talk about abuse and wounds when we gather as the body of Christ? See, for me, it's all so consistent. Luke, Luke never even talks about repentance without some kind of concrete in the flesh act. When wealthy Zacchaeus, for example, realizes the, the depth of his ex, economic exploitation, he doesn't just like say a prayer, go to confession. He goes and makes amends and pays four times the amount that he cheated them out of. When the prodigal son, when he realizes what he's done, it's a lot more than just saying a sinner's prayer and inviting Jesus into his heart. He has to take the long road home. He has to let the Father embrace him with love and grace. The kingdom of God, the reign of God's love will not stay in a book or in a tract or in a prayer. It will not be limited to just the spiritual. It's got to take on flesh and blood for it to be real. It's extravagant, it's radical, it's relentless, no doubt. It's a lot closer to what the ancient Israelites called the year of the Jubilee. Every 50 years, 49 years, seven times seven, the 50th year when slaves were released, when all debts were forgiven across the country, when every fence and every wall was torn down, when all the land was given back to its rightful owner, because the physical mattered. That's the only way justice and mercy in the kingdom of God can happen. Now see, this is a hard day, and I, I know it is. Uh, the ascension of Jesus, it's, just, it's, a, it's a toughie. Um, the whole up and down thing, where is God really? Cosmology, heaven and earth, hell. I, I get all those kind of questions. But I think there's some really good news in this, that, that God loves us, us, all of us, and God loves you. All of you, from head to toe, God loves every ounce of you. And so let's, let's, just, let's try to be real about that. Let's try to make the connections between a, a risen and bodily resurrected, ascended Lord Jesus and the world we live in. People are excluded. They're excluded because of the color of their skin or the texture of their hair. People are silenced and held back or worse than that because of their gender or because of their lack of gender. Bodies become disabled and people tell them that you're not useful because you can't do this certain task. You're somehow less human or less value to us socially or economically. Today, a real body, marginalized, wounded, disabled, a real body, fragile, warm, human flesh, ascends and sits Spirits can't sit, sits at the right hand of God. And we revel with balloons, no less, in the fact that that is the means 
by which the kingdom of God came to us and continues to come to us. Bodies matter. They matter. All bodies matter, including each one of yours. Amen.